Thank you for joining me for today's Beast Watch News Update. News from the Internet's most comprehensive Bible prophecy news website, BeastWatchNews.com. I'm Kimberly Rogers Brown. In this week's report, a supercomputer from 1973 calculated the end of the world. Find out how close its predictions are to the truth. How soon will the Jewish Messiah appear? According to some Jewish experts, soon. Are both the U.S. and Russia about to meddle in Israel's election? And what portents does this week's blood moon have in store for the USA and Israel? Well, we'll find out. But first, war. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu acknowledged on Sunday that Israeli forces had attacked Iranian weapons warehouses in Syria after years of ambiguity over Israel's involvement in specific attacks in Syria. He said Israel had worked with impressive success to block Iran's military entrenchment in Syria and added that the Israeli military had struck Iranian and Hezbollah targets hundreds of times. He further said just in the last 36 hours the Air Force attacked Iranian warehouses with Iranian weapons at the international airport in Damascus. The rare admission came just hours after the Israeli military announced that it had exposed the sixth and final tunnel under its border with Lebanon, which it says the Iranian-backed organization Hezbollah dug, wrapping up a six-week operation to seal the cross-border tunnels. By lifting the veil on its campaign to curb Iranian influence in the region, as well as Tehran's efforts to upgrade the capabilities of Hezbollah in Lebanon, the Israeli government appeared to be trying to convey confidence that the threats from across its northern frontiers were under control. Netanyahu's admission really conveys, first, a false bravado that betrays nervousness over Israel's new untenable position as the U.S. leaves Israel almost defenseless and, second, a public airing of security achievements for Netanyahu's re-election campaign that comes under a cloud of corruption investigations. Netanyahu is serving as defense minister and foreign minister in addition to being prime minister. In his defense minister role, he appears to be flaunting Israel's determination to not be deterred from acting in Syria against Russia's sophisticated S-300 ground-to-air missile system. However, Netanyahu turned the defense minister over to Lieutenant General Aviv Kokavi this past Tuesday. Syrian media reportedly said on Saturday that Israel warplanes had launched another round of missiles toward the outskirts of Damascus shortly before midnight on Friday, causing material damage to the ammunition warehouses at Damascus International Airport.
Netanyahu's opponents have accused him of over-dramatizing the Hezbollah anti-tunnel operation and of fear-mongering to distract the public's attention after the Israeli police recommended that Mr. Netanyahu be indicted on bribery, fraud, and other charges in a third corruption case against him. Additionally, his continued attacks against Iran in Syria is designed to make him appear as a formidable leader of an invincible Israel. Netanyahu's nervousness over his scandal-ridden administration and the U.S. pullout from Syria was underscored by former NSA Yaakov Amidror's warning that the U.S. pullout from Syria endangers the Kurds, empowers Turkey, and sends troubling messages to American allies. The decision of the Americans to pull out means that the whole Kurdish area will be under threat from Turkey, General Amidror explained, and the question is, is it good for the Middle East or is it bad for the Middle East? The more the Turks will be inside Syria, the less willing Assad will be to get rid of or to contain or to limit the Iranians, because it is a balance between these forces, and we don't know what the reaction of the Russians will be. He added that the withdrawal will likely throw off U.S. allies who are not prepared to be left on their own. It's very bad for allies who cannot defend themselves, he said. Israel is in a unique situation because we decided in 48 that Israel would build its capability to defend itself by itself. Other allies who did not make this decision or cannot make this decision or found themselves in a different situation like the Kurds and some Arab countries... They are hesitating, and they don't know how to react to this situation. General Amador sees Iran as the key reason behind many of the challenges facing the region. This includes the threat posed by Hezbollah, an Iranian proxy, on Israel's borders with Lebanon and Syria. The discovery and destruction of Hezbollah terror tunnels by the IDF sends a strong message to Hezbollah and Iran. The tunnels gave them their guarantee that in the case of a war, they would have something that might change the situation to their side. The fact that we succeeded to neutralize those tunnels means that Hezbollah understands that A, they lost a very important card, and B, that they are more exposed than they thought they were. And, if Iran doesn't want Hezbollah being exposed, Iran must just do something about it, like move IRGC troops into southern Lebanon where they will then be in position to attack Israel's border. And Netanyahu, bless his heart, countered this warning with one of his own, saying that Israel is prepared to fight more than one war at a time. In light of that statement, Netanyahu then warned Iran that Israel intends to continue its onslaught. Now let's turn our attention to election meddling. 
The Israeli election could prove to be another political battleground between the U.S. and Russia, as they each are beginning to meddle. The stakes are high in this upcoming Israeli election, not only for Netanyahu, but for both the U.S. and Russia. A Netanyahu election loss could upend both U.S. and Russian foreign policy in the Middle East. To that end, the head of Israel's Shin Beit Domestic Security Agency warned that a foreign country intends to intervene via cyber attacks and other methods ahead of elections slated for April 9th. Israel's Shin Beit Security Service has assured the public it is well prepared to thwart any foreign intervention. Fingers were quickly pointed toward Russia, but Russia denied the accusations. Digital security companies found some evidence that Russian spies are targeting politicians ahead of the country's midterm elections last year. Why Russia? What interest does Moscow have in interfering with these elections? And on behalf of whom? Why, for instance, couldn't the prime suspect be Iran or even a European country, say France or Germany, which would love to see a center-left government in power to advance what they believe is the proper pathway to peace? It is not to unseat Netanyahu. The answer lies further down the ticket. To those who might gain positions of power that would favor policies in line with Russian interests, advocate policies that either mean working with Russia or at least not working against them. Israel is important in Russia's foreign policy and Moscow has interests it wants to promote in Israel, said the former ambassador. We are in a region where they are active militarily. Israel influences the region and could cause them damage if it feels threatened. Beyond having a localized objective of trying to influence elections to one side of the political spectrum or the other, Magen said that Russian meddling in elections around the world is part of a world view of trying to destabilize Western democracies. In the U.S. and Europe, they did it to undermine stability. In this way, they develop points of leverage. When the system is unstable, it becomes easier for Moscow to promote certain policies. When there is a lack of stability, other forces can rise to the forefront and bring about a change of basic policies. Some experts believe Russia will use cyberbullying to turn the election in its favor. The most likely scenario is that Russia would like to see Netanyahu continue as prime minister because he is the devil they know. Boosting Russian allies in the Knesset would be more profitable because, as we all know, legislative bodies can make a president or a prime minister impotent in forwarding his own agenda. Then there is this. Russia leads the Eastern New World Order. 
The U.S. leads the Western New World Order. Israel is pivotal to both. In fact, Israel can make or break the hegemony of either one. Thus, Trump also has an interest in meddling in Israel's election. The current UN-created political state of Israel and the United States of America are sister houses, the House of Judah and the House of Israel, respectively, in Scripture. Israel may play with Russia, but she will always side with the West, and their two peoples will share the same fate and outcome in the Great Tribulation. But one can't blame Putin for trying. Israel will continue to do the West's dirty work, the covert operations, bombing runs, and generally holding the southern Middle East together. Israel will continue being the hub around which the Islamic Sunni alliance rotates. However, this election could prove to be the one that precipitates the coming war with the Islamic King of the North, who rides south with the Islamic Antichrist. Trump's stake in Israel's election is his peace plan. Trump has asked Netanyahu to push the peace plan while stumping for the PM spot, and the White House looks set to host a rare state dinner to express presidential support for the Israeli premier when he visits Washington in March. Another factor will play an important role in Israel's elections, the U.S. withdrawal from Syria. The incoherence of U.S. policy in the Middle East, coupled with Trump's isolationist instincts, leaves Israel on its own to face Iran's presence beyond its northern border, not a situation likely to help those in the security world sleep at night. Tehran and Hezbollah feel emboldened after securing a victory for their ally Assad against the armed opposition while increasing their influence in the country. The withdrawal also necessarily undermines the appearance of the United States as a reliable ally in the Middle East, both to Israel and others. Israel is left with few options. The Israeli Defense Forces will continue bombing occasional weapons transfers while hoping those raids do not lead Iran to ship weapons directly to Lebanon by air. Jerusalem will continue engaging Russia in an effort to get the Kremlin to encourage Damascus and Iran to halt Iranian buildup in Syria. The conflict between Iranian and Israeli interests in Syria, coupled with Russia's inability or unwillingness to serve as a mediator between them, ensure that Russia will remain an arena for this regional contest. One wrong move and the conflict currently contained in Syria could spill into Lebanon and Israel. Israel's election will reflect how Israelis feel about Netanyahu's relationship with Trump. The people may decide 
they don't trust Netanyahu's judgment since he continuously declared Trump to be such a good friend of Israel. Despite the U.S. Embassy being moved to Jerusalem, perhaps some of the good feeling has been lost since Trump has left Israel wide open to attack from the 4 plus 1 coalition and Israel is now going it alone in trying to push Iran out of Syria. The U.S. withdrawal from Syria has caused U.S. allies in the region to give Mike Pompeo the cold shoulder, causing him to cut his diplomatic visit to the Middle East short and scurry back into his White House hole. This is not good news for the Trump administration's reputation among Middle East allies who all feel abandoned and exposed against the Iranian threat. According to Debka, Arab rulers who met with Pompeo last week gave a cool response to a proposal to call an international conference in Warsaw on February 13 and 14 to discuss Middle East stability in the light of malign Iranian activity. Arab sources commented that the last thing needed for an effective challenge to Iran was another international conference. As one high-ranking source in Riyadh put it, the time for talking is over. Now we need action. This situation may have weakened the U.S. among its Arab allies, but it might actually continue to push the Islamic Sunni nations together with Israel. Such alliances would be seen by the 4 plus 1 coalition as an increasing threat against the Shiites of Iran, Iraq, Syria, and Hezbollah. Now, let's review the upcoming blood moon so I can give you a few ideas to think about. This blood moon is the incredible coincidence of Trump's second presidency anniversary and the fact that he was born on a blood moon on June 14, 1946, 700 days before Israel became a nation on May 14, 1948. Trump moved the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem and dedicated it on May 14, 2018, exactly 70 years later. President Trump was sworn in as president on January 20, 2017, when he was 70 years old, seven months and seven days. We just had the longest blood moon of the century in this year of 2018 back on July 27th when it was directly over Jerusalem. Some prognosticators believe this January eclipse is a much more sinister event than people might think for America. I believe that the blood moon on July 27, 2018 over Jerusalem was a warning from Yahweh for the Jewish leadership in Israel's sinister plot that were rebelling against Yahweh in the Jubilee year. It was no coincidence that there was a blood moon over Jerusalem that occurred in the week after the Knesset voted to make Israel a Jewish state instead of making it a Hebrew state for all people 
from all the twelve tribes. That blood moon signaled Yahweh's wrath against the house of Judah. This upcoming blood moon ties Trump to Jerusalem in a couple of nefarious ways. First, it ties the U.S. to Israel as Israel's sister house. Yahweh is marking the two houses as leads of the house of Israel whose people are scattered in the westernized nations. Israel is the house of Judah and both houses are about to be punished. Some believe this blood moon may signal that the Antichrist will come from the United States. Jared Kushner is on the radar of some folks to be the Antichrist. It is interesting to note that he is an Orthodox Kabad Jew. The Trump administration most certainly has been cooperating with the nascent Sanhedrin's Kabad agenda, first with Nikki Haley, perhaps later with Jared Kushner. Trump's administration is, I believe, directly involved in the Kabad and Sanhedrin's new messianic push, even though everyone in the Trump administration is silent about the Sanhedrin's latest moves. The rehearsal altar, Nikki Haley being offered the Sanhedrin's honorary presidency and having a coin minted in her honor are big clues that validate this. So Yahweh is using the blood moons to mark the two houses with which he will begin the earth's great tribulation punishment because they are colluding in the effort to bring forth the Antichrist, whoever that turns out to be. Rabbi Yakutiel Fish said, A lunar eclipse bears a potent message, according to Jewish tradition. The rabbi cited the Talmud in Sukkah 29a, which states that a lunar eclipse is a bad omen for Israel, since the Jewish people bases its calendar in accordance with the lunar cycle. If the face of the moon is like blood, the Talmud reads, then this is a sign of the increasing of swords. The rabbi noted, however, that this upcoming lunar eclipse will not be visible in Israel, saying the eclipse over North America bears a message for the U.S. and the Jews, Rabbi Fish told Breaking Israel News. It clearly is telling the Jews that they need to come to Israel. If any Jew was waiting for the last moment before leaving, this is it, Rabbi Fish said. The sentiment is that Jews in Israel will be safe from the world's tribulation, as I reported last week, and those outside Israel will suffer. Notice that Israel's rabbis make no offer of mercy to their house of Israel brothers and sisters in America, any of the Western nations. No, safety and security belong only to the Jews. However, I do share Rabbi Fish's sentiment that getting out of Babylon will become both more imperative and more difficult the longer people wait to leave. A few weeks ago, I reported the rabbi's view that non-Jews keeping the Sabbath 
deserve death. An article in Breaking Israel News this past week presents one rabbi's opposite view. Rabbi Yoel Schwartz, head of the Sanhedrin's Noahide Court and the Devar Yerushalayim Yeshiva, stated that one of the reasons the Messiah has yet to reveal himself is because the non-Jewish nations are not keeping the Sabbath. The rabbi has put out a call for the nations to keep the Sabbath and for the Jews to help them in this mission. The point we must understand is that the call to keep the Sabbath does not belong to the nations. It belongs to the house of Israel who are scattered in the nations. Once again, the house of Judah fails to understand that the house of Israel has been returned to the covenant of Abraham. This is because they reject the Messiah Yeshua who died to fulfill the promise of the Genesis 15 covenant of the pieces which was that the one who breaks the covenant must die. Yeshua walked through those pieces on behalf of the descendants of Abraham so it became necessary for him to die in order to bring us back into the Abrahamic fold. The Jews can't see us because they reject Yeshua and they can't see Yeshua because they reject us. They are truly in a very sad catch-22 that only Yahweh can stop. In the meantime, I believe we should stop trying to get them to see us because Yahweh still has us in hiding for a purpose. What is the purpose? The bride is always kept safely inside her chamber until the groom comes to get her. Stay hidden, people. Stay tuned. I'll be right back after these messages. Thank you for listening to the Jerusalem Report on Beast Watch News. Full news coverage with a Hebraic perspective of the headlines fulfilling Bible prophecy. Remember to financially and prayerfully support Beast Watch News for keeping you up to date. Send your donation to Beast Watch News today. It takes money to operate this ministry, and your help is much appreciated. Each year at Passover, you say, Next year in Jerusalem. Well, this is the year. Join Ani Yosef for 13 glorious days in and around Jerusalem, beginning with four days of service to the land, followed by Passover and a week of touring in Jerusalem. For just $825, get lodging and two meals per day while staying in a Jewish community with other Hebrews from all over the world. Go to AniYosef.com for details. That is A-N-I-Y-O-S-E-F.com. Join us this year in Jerusalem. Welcome back. Now, here is an interesting article from Breaking Israel News. This article by Dr. Rivka Lambert-Adler introduces a Jewish online program that teaches the universal message of having faith in God. The Amuna Project, 
founded by Rabbi Dror Kasuto, speaks about the role of the nations when it comes to the end of days. We know about the Geula, that it will be the redemption of the whole world, not only the redemption of Israel. The third temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Everyone will come to bow to Hashem, he explained. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples, Isaiah 56, 7. What does he see, she asks, as the role of the Jewish people at that time? We will serve in the temple to guide the world how to serve Hashem, he said. Okay, here is where we run into scriptural problems with Judaism. The Jewish people will have nothing to do with running the temple. It will be the Levites from the line of Aaron who are now absorbed into the house of Judah and called Jews who will run the temple. Nowhere does scripture say the house of Judah, the Jews, are or ever will be in charge of the temple. That said, Casuto elaborated on how things will play out at the end of days regarding the Jews and people from the nations. People think that Am Yisrael, the nation of Israel, is the Jewish nation. The truth is, the real Am Yisrael has been divided into two kingships, Yehuda, the Jews, and Yisrael, which includes the ten lost tribes. They were exiled, but they are also part of Am Yisrael. We lost track of most of them. There are hundreds of millions of people lost in the world. We don't know who they are, but they are out there. They have been blended throughout the nations. Well, Rabbi Kasuto, there are hundreds of millions of individuals on the earth who are from those lost tribes. And when we say we are from the house of Israel, the Jews reject it or try to convert us to the religion called Judaism. The house of Judah has its religion. Judaism, and many of its people also practice other religions. The house of Israel has its religion, Christianity, and many of its people also practice other religions. Rabbi, you are looking in the wrong places and putting wrong expectations on the lost tribes, the house of Israel. We are not only found in ancient communities and tribal enclaves all over the earth. The majority of us are so scattered, we are down to individuals awakening to the truth. It is time for Yahweh's people to understand that His is a kingdom, not a religion. Judaism, Christianity, or any other. The Creator knows who they are. They are all about to reunite with the tribes of Yehuda and Benjamin. He said, Moshiach's job will be to remind them who they really are. Well, this is partly true. 
Rabbi Casuto just happens to leave out Levi and Simeon when recounting which tribes are with the house of Judah. There are many groups in the world that have a connection to Judaism, to the Bible, to our family, to Israel. At the end of the process, we will become one again, Casuto related. You see, my house of Israel friends, this is where Judaism gets it wrong. Judaism is not the kingdom. It is not what the whole world will come to. It is a corrupted, man-made religion like all other man-made religions, and none of it will be operative in Yeshua's kingdom. He's talking about a potentially extraordinary number of people. Tens of millions of Jews have been slaughtered throughout history, he stated by way of explaining why the number of Jews worldwide is only about 15 million. But he explained that it might be that every one of the lost ten tribes today could be 100 million people. They are in China, Asia, Pakistan, all over the world. They haven't been killed for their Judaism, so their numbers have had a chance to grow. Oh, why is it that no rabbi of Judaism can see where the most House of Israel people are? Why don't they ever mention the Western nations? Yahweh has blinded them so they simply cannot see us. Casuto continues, They are the souls of Israel. They are the children of Jacob and his four wives. Ten of the tribes are out in the world. They are not Jews. Their souls are precious to the Creator as the souls of his children. And they will all rejoin Am Yisrael at the end of days. He stated plainly, It is so frustrating to me when I can see that someone almost gets it. Back to the article. Speaking about the Torah awakening among non-Jews, Casuto asked rhetorically, Why are there so many people all over the world interested in studying Torah? They are feeling a certain completion when they are studying. When a person feels a thirst, he needs water. If you feel a lack of knowledge, if you feel a desire to connect to Am Yisrael, to the people, to the Bible, to the prophets, if you find Jewish people attractive, why is that? Who are you? he asks. He answered his own question by stating, he is someone who is connected to the Jewish people in a bonding that is spiritual. That bonding is a testament to his real connection to the roots that he has to Am Yisrael, or else he wouldn't want to bring it into his life. He cares about them as if they are his brothers. Why? Because they are. In reality, he has an attachment to Am Yisrael. He is one of the children of Jacob. Exactly. But what you can't see, Rabbi Casuto and Rivka Lambert Adler, is that the restoration of the kingdom 
will make it as it was before the split before the split there was no Judaism there was a temple with Aaronic priests serving Yahweh and a people whose lives centered around that situation Judaism is a come after Babylonian captivity answer to the house of Judah's loss of Jerusalem for the Jews never reigned sovereignly in Jerusalem again except for perhaps a couple of decades furthermore Christianity is the house of Israel's answer to not having a temple that could be central to their lives because their Jewish brethren rejected them they were rejected because of their belief in Yeshua the Yeshua who died to bring them back into the Abrahamic covenant he paid that price for them Judah was given the opportunity to rule over 12 tribes 2,000 years ago and rejected that opportunity for that awful mistake the Jews have suffered and suffered and suffered yet they still reject the true house of Israel because of Yeshua back to the article at the same time Kasuto made it clear that such a desire to reconnect has its limits it doesn't make him Jewish the Jewish people need to provide them the free opportunity to be part of the tribes of Israel if they want to convert to Judaism they have to convert our role is to teach and to guide and explain we don't need to be scared of them he said how much clearer can it be that Jews believe in order for people to be part of the whole house of Israel they must convert to Judaism they believe that if you're going to be saved you need to become a Jew and what exactly are the Jewish people supposed to be teaching those who see themselves as returning to the nation of Israel well according to Kasuto all the wide world is commanded in the seven mitzvot of Noah the Noahide laws he elaborated on the fact that the seven laws of Noah include many other laws within them consisting of many obligations and according to Kasuto at a minimum all people need to follow the seven Noahide laws those who wish to can volunteer to do more what that last statement means is that as stated earlier in this article lost house of Israel people can convert to Judaism there is no other option it is either Noahidism or Judaism their messages are sometimes subtle sometimes blunt like this one and direct regarding their agenda make no mistake there is an agenda and a conversion process just waiting for individuals from the house of Israel also this week breaking Israel news broke the news that the Holy of Holies was not where the Jews thought it was combining all of the archaeological hints 
and based on the Jewish text Rabbi Moskov came to the conclusion that the Holy of Holies stood to the southwest of the Dome of the Rock why is this important after all the fussing with the Muslims over that section of Temple Mount just this if proven accurate Moskov's theory would permit the construction of a structure for Jewish worship without infringing on the Muslim structures currently at the site Moskov is working to bring his theory to the attention of Israeli politicians ah a place to lay the Masonic Temple's foundation stone so the Jews can build the operational altar without disturbing the Muslims any little bit it's just so convenient isn't it in another nod from Judaism to Christianity from the Jewish cabal to the Christian cabal who are both the same by the way and in an effort to show just how much the Jews now love Christians and want them to join the Jews in Judaism or as Christians following the Noahide laws because after all Judaism and Christianity isn't so far apart in February the IDF will promote a Christian soldier to the rank of lieutenant colonel making him the first soldier of his faith to achieve that rank as quickly as the Jewish leaders are moving to make the coming of the Jewish Messiah possible and palatable to Christians can his revealing be that far away and now let's find out what breaking Israel news has to say about the sapphires of Israel and outer space a company founded on the prophetic advice of the Kabad rabbi I'm emphasizing that Kabad rabbi on purpose has found a type of gemstone unique to Israel and outer space last week the International Mineralogical Association recognized a new distinct mineral discovered by Shefa Yamim the only mining company searching for precious gems in Israel the mineral is embedded in sapphire and is called Carmeltazite for the Carmel Mountains the location of its discovery and the trace minerals it contains titanium aluminum and zirconium it will be marketed under the name Carmel Sapphire the largest stone the company found to date weighed in at 33.3 carats after density testing it was shown to be harder than diamond the quantity of carmeltazite hidden under the Carmel mountains is still unknown but if it is sufficiently rare it may prove to be more valuable than diamonds the stone has been seen before but not in the world the mineral has been found in rocks orbiting in space Avi Tab, CEO of Shefa Yamim that is mining the sapphires is a religious Jew and follower of the Kabad branch of Hasidut and naturally he connects the recent find with the temple 
Taub also noted that even the timing of their find is significant. These stones could have been discovered ten years ago, or one hundred, he emphasized. The Rebbe told us to begin when he did because he knew the Moshiach was coming, and that was when these stones were brought to light. Sure enough, the Jews planned to reveal their Jewish Messiah soon. Now, let's see if we can figure out when the end of the world will come. In 1973, experts developed a computer program at MIT to model global sustainability. Instead, it predicted that by 2040, our civilization would end. Recently, that prediction reappeared in Australian media, making its way to the rest of the world. Cool. So what did the supercomputer predict, and what's the story behind it? The program was originally developed by computer pioneer Jay Forrester, who was commissioned by the Club of Rome to predict what the future of global growth would look like given our available planetary resources. The Club of Rome is an organization made up of thinkers, former world heads of states, scientists, and UN bureaucrats, and according to their website, their mission is to promote understanding of the global challenges facing humanity and to propose solutions through scientific analysis, communication, and advocacy. Forrester's model looked at five essential factors that most likely could impact the growth on Earth, population, agricultural production, depletion of non-renewable resources, industrial output, and pollution generated by mankind. Taking into consideration the above and using the World 3 model, a system dynamics model designed for computer simulation of interactions between population, industrial growth, fruit, food production, and limits in the ecosystems of the Earth, scientists found that civilization as we know it would effectively collapse during this century. And this apocalyptic scenario predicted back in 1973 is back in the headlines because the Australian Broadcasting Corporation decided to share some of its original TV coverage of the research in a new YouTube video clip. Worryingly, according to Science Alert, in the decades since the model first appeared, Research has shown that many of the predictions made by this pioneering model are scarily accurate, with some arguing we can expect the early stages of global collapse to start appearing soon. Keep watching for the Jewish Messiah and the Catholics Club of Rome Collapse of the Earth. That's it for this Beast Watch News update. This is Kimberly Rogers Brown signing off. Click over to BeastWatchNews.com for full comprehensive coverage of all the headlines fulfilling end of days Bible prophecy.